You are listening to a podcast from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Our guest today is Dr. Richard Taylor. Dr. Taylor has over 30 years of experience in oncology and palliative care and currently has a faculty practice with palliative care at Kirkland Clinic here at UAB. Welcome, Richard. Thanks for being here today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, So we're talking about palliative care services Mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. Just give us an overview of what palliative care is. Sure, sure. So uh, palliative care is an interdisciplinary uh, care uh, delivery system that really focuses on uh, exquisite symptom management, uh, being uh, preventing, uh, treating, managing not o- the symptoms and uh, not only for the patient, but also it's family-centered also. So it's patient and family that come as a unit, whatever the patient defines as their family. In our previous discussions and mm-hmm. talking about uh, this, sure. this topic with you uh, many, many times, yes. um, you've mentioned supportive care as a different kind of description for it. What is that term and how does that relate? Sure, sure. So um, palliative care is uh, obviously the term that most healthcare professionals know and also uh, patients and family know that term, but oftentimes they have a negative association with hospice. Uh, and so we use the term supportive care because that's really kind of what we do. Uh, palliative care is a support, extra layer of support for the patient, their family, caregivers, and also their health care providers. I like that term better. It kind of encompasses yeah, everything it, that you guys do. I think do. it better describes kind of what we do. So what's the difference then? You mentioned hospice and sure. how most people kind of think that palliative care is hospice. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between the supportive care layer and maybe end of life and hospice? Okay, sure. Um, hospice is, maybe I should say, palliative care is delivered across a continuum. Okay. And it's for any person that has a serious illness and so depending on where the patient is on that continuum, hospice is generally here in the United States defined as the last six months of life. And so hospice is on that continuum of palliative care, but it is not really in the way that we need to think about palliative care when we talk to patients about palliative care. So it's just one, yeah, it's hospice one, is one part of all of that support. Correct, correct. So you could, you could be taking care of a patient that wasn't necessarily at the end of their life. Is absolutely, that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. We would like to have palliative care alongside when the patient is diagnosed with their serious illness, and we can come alongside and be that extra layer of support to the patient and their family. And so from the time of the diagnosis of the serious illness is when we really would like to be involved because we can work with that patient and their family over a period of time, develop a trusting relationship. So when we get to that last six months of life or the hospice phase, we have a good working relationship. We can help ease those symptoms over uh, their course of their illness. And what a great support for the family to, to know you absolutely. by that, that point. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I see the benefit of that for sure. Um, so when you say serious illness, mm-hmm. um, what, what kinds of things? I mean, cancer comes to mind to, to me, mm-hmm. but what are other kinds of things that we might not think about would qualify for this kind of support system? Sure. So serious illness is defined as anything that has an illness that has a high mortality rate and the patient has symptoms uh, symptom burden 
and or their affects their quality of life or their functional ability. Okay. Or it affects their family stress levels significantly. So that's kind of the definition of serious illness in our world. Okay. And that involves congestive heart failure, uh, diabetes, uh, ALS. They're, people traditionally think of cancer when they think mm -hmm. of palliative care, but it's really any serious illness that could cause uh, symptom burden for either the patient or their family. Which are so many disease processes. Oh, absolutely. And never even occurred to me till we <laughs> talked that those things would qualify. Yes. Uh, so what kinds of services would you provide to someone um, with congestive heart failure or diabetes if, if you got a hold of them kind of quickly at the beginning of their diagnosis? Sure. A lot of that is meeting the patient where they are is really very key. And we want to know the patient. We have the diagnosis, but we want to see the patient behind the diagnosis. Uh, we want to uh, know about their physical, social psychological, um, and their spiritual aspects of their, of that are related to that particular disease process for them, mm -hmm. what symptoms they might have. So we have social workers, we have uh, chaplains, we have physical therapists, massage therapists, depending on what your institution has available. Right. Uh, each team is different. As I said, this is an interdisciplinary care approach. And so each person, each team is different. Um, some small rural areas may only have a physician and a nurse practitioner as their team, um, but have resources to tap in. Okay. So um, psychological counseling services uh, is very important. Financial uh, counseling from social workers, identification of community resources uh, to ease their stress and burden. So it sounds like coordination of care is really important. Absolutely. That's a huge part of what palliative care is all about, is coordination of care. We have patients oftentimes come to us with a primary oncologist, or and they may also have a heart problem, and they may also have diabetes. And so each of those teams focus on their particular aspect, but there's no one really kind of coordinating all of those efforts. Uh, so uh, that is a role that we uh, also play. I can imagine that is so beneficial to the to the patient and their family because I can imagine all of those different appointments would you know and, sure. and just and, the stress of that. And everybody, not to bash anybody, but everybody's looking at their one particular mm -hmm. aspect of that patient, and the palliative care is to look at the patient and their family holistically and pull back and say, okay, what's going on with you uh, from uh, a thirty thousand foot and then drilling down. Um, how do you, how do you nurses even begin to get a patient to you? Sure. So palliative care, the specialty palliative care services, um, we, you can, here at UAB, it's a, you can self-refer. So if the patient says, hey, I feel the need to have your services, you've described them beautifully and I'd like to have those. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, they can self-refer. I'll, other ways to come in is obviously that the primary provider for the patient can call and say, hey, I've got this patient, they're having X, Y, and Z symptoms, how can you help us we'd like to refer? Um, also, at different institutions, you'd have to look and see, well, what, what are the referral uh, 
um, patterns, how do, how do they want that to happen in their institution? So, but here it's um, pretty easy. You can self-refer. I think the nurse would be a great yeah. um, person to refer or to be maybe that first, have that first discussion with the patient. Do Absolutely. you feel the same way? Absolutely. I, I think what's really important for us to realize is that all of us in the healthcare, the nurses at the bedside, all of the nurses and other healthcare providers that impact have some contact with a patient even down to the, the nursing assistant. All those people are really important because the patient or family may say something to one of those providers that they never say to their mm -hmm. uh, physician or their nurse practitioner that's rounding. And so, hey, you know, we need to refer this patient to uh, palliative care, supportive care. And everybody has a very important role, and I don't want to minimize mm -hmm. that. It's really the nurse at the bedside are very uh, they're very important and, and carry a great opportunity to to advocate for the patient and their family and say, hey, we've, we've got this awesome service here. Uh, we'd like, what do you think about it? Yeah. And just listening and being present for the patient and being authentic with the patient is very important. It's, it's critical. And that's something that the, the nurses on the floor or wherever in the clinic can do beautifully. Right. So in my opinion, after meeting with you and knowing you for several years now, I think everyone should go to palliative care. <laughs> I, mean, I think everyone could benefit from these support services. And I know you're really busy, but why don't more people get referred? Or what barriers might a nurse who wants to send a patient, mm -hmm. what might he or she face um, in trying to get a patient mm -hmm. to that kind of a, of a team? Well, I think the main barrier is lack of knowledge of really what the services are and how we can integrate into the existing care model that the patient is involved in. Um, so I think that's the first thing is people have just nurses, just like lay people have this concept or other healthcare providers. I'm afraid to refer the patient because that means I'm giving up on them. Yeah. And that's not it at all. It means that uh, you are really providing that support that they need. Um, so it, it's critical uh, that, that, that they do that. Um, but barriers, I'm, I'm afraid to overstep my bounds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid that the patient will think that they're dying. Uh, I'm afraid that... Um, the providers that I'm uh, working with will be upset with me for overstepping my bounds. Uh, but I think if you have the knowledge, the understanding of what palliative care is, then all of that stuff kind of dissipates, you know, because everybody, from my experience, really wants the patients to be the center. Everybody's concerned about the patient's well-being uh, that I've worked with. Mm -hmm. So if we can come to that common ground, it kind of takes away some of that other stuff. It's such a true statement, what you just said. It is, I have been afraid myself as the, as the nurse practitioner. Um, I deal with patients all the time that would benefit yes. from this, and yet I myself have not referred very many to no, you I haven't gotten at all. I know, I know. <laughs> and it's because of that fear when I'm talking, yeah. I don't know how to bring it up. Can yeah, you it's tell awkward. us how, to, how do you get over that awkwardness? What is a phrase that we could use to get that conversation going with the patient who might also be feeling very afraid about their diagnosis. Sure. I, I think the most important thing f 
is to focus on what what are their goals of care, how um, what are the things that are important to you as the patient and the family, and you have some symptoms. I see Mr. Jones. You know you're having a lot of shortness of breath today when you came into the clinic, or I saw you uh, uh, in the hospital. You're having a lot of shortness of breath. We have a a great team that can help you and me address those symptoms so you can have a better quality of life. But if you know what's important to them, you can use that some. Mr. Jones, you really want to get to your, your granddaughter's wedding. Uh, it's, it's three weeks from here, right? Uh-huh. You told me that earlier. So how can we reach that goal? It's hard for you to get into the church when you're so short of breath, right? So if you approach that, the goals of care and the symptom and link those two, and we're focused on you and what's important to you and getting you there. I got a great group of people that's going to help us work together on that. So it, we're not mentioning death and dying. Right. We're not mentioning, um, you know, you're, you're not doing well. We're not mentioning any of that. We're talking about what are your goals of care and how can I help you? How can we work together? This is a collaboration. That's amazing. I've, I feel like it would go a lot better if I said if I use that phrase. I'm going to you know, put that away in my yeah. mind to use that. So I have a question from the audience. Um, what happens when a patient refuses palliative care, but the family insists on it or thinks it's it's necessary? I can yeah, imagine that's, that helps. That that's happens. a good question. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happens, and the beauty of palliative care, supportive care, is as I mentioned earlier, we're family and patient centered. So if the patient doesn't want to come along, then we'll see the family. You know, because we're helping the family deal with the stress and strain that's related to this serious illness. So we will be glad to see the family separate from the patient. Now what oftentimes happens, and this is beautiful, the family gets involved mm-hmm. and gets to seeing us, and then, oh, hmm, patient really, I think I want to go. <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's a beautiful sort of way. Oftentimes, the caregivers and the families are the people that are sitting in the corner of the clinic room, and nobody really communicates and talks to them um, because it's all focused on the patient. And our focus in palliative care is not that. It's you come as a unit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the patient may not want to come, but we'll see you. Really? You'll see me? Yeah, we'll see you. Because you're important uh, to that patient's care and their well-being. Still another great opportunity for a nurse, a clinic oh, nurse absolutely. or a, a hospital nurse to, to see that family member sitting absolutely. quietly in the corner yes, and perhaps and say, approach hey, them. Just, I say that you're stressed and, you know, uh, what's going on with you? It's really... Communication. It's all about being present for the patient and communicating with the patient. And honestly, I, I try to approach this from I'm stepping into someone's sacred space. This is your space, you know, and you're inviting me in to have a conversation. And so I, it's sacred and it should be looked at in that way. And oftentimes in a busy clinic, you know, nurses, uh, providers, MPs, physicians, we're all so busy, um, and we forget that space is sacred, and, and you invited me, right? You know? <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. 
So can this be done as an inpatient or an outpatient? Is there yes. a difference of services that you provide in each setting? or Depending on where you are, what your institution is, palliative care is delivered across all of those areas. Outpatient, inpatient, um, consult services, etc. So it, it can be addressed across the whole uh, spectrum of delivery of care. And um, it can be delivered at any phase of the patient's illness. So it doesn't mean that, uh, oh, well, you haven't reached this point yet. <laughs> you know, no, we'll, we want to see you across. Do you ever go to the patient's homes? Yes, we do go to the patient's homes, and that's a wonderful opportunity to really kind of get a feel of where the patient is and what their environment is uh, and what are some of the barriers to uh, their um, receiving the care. And we can address those things there, but we do go to the home. There are some home care agencies that I'll shout out to that uh, actually provide palliative care. So there's that's their focus. It's not routine home care. It's... We, we're a palliative care home agency, and we go out uh, to deliver those services. Are there special certifications or training that nurses can go through to, to be that kind of nurse? Absolutely. There are uh, multiple um, training opportunities. There are certifications from the HPNA, the Hospice and Palliative Nurses Association, not only for nurses, but for nursing assistants, um, and there are organizations that are specific to the social workers that they can also be certified in palliative care. Chaplains can be certified in palliative care. So th depending on what their area is, then uh, the association goes along with that, whatever that association particularly is. But yes. Great. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about what the nurse could say to the patient, but I didn't really touch on kind of how they could approach a maybe a a provider, a physician, or an advanced practice provider that perhaps didn't understand the supportive services. We talked a little bit about their barriers. Um, how should they approach it? And what if they had some pushback? And what would they do then? Yeah, that's not uncommon. And I think, once again, as I said earlier, focusing on the patient and how we're all on the same page about treating the patient, what's best for them. Most people, I haven't run across folks that are not like that, but I have heard that. But just focusing on not the, the hierarchy of, well, you're the physician and I'm the nurse and there, there's a perceived hierarchy and you're, that's outside your scope. But if we focus on the patient and what's best for them, and this great service, you know, I talked to Richard, I talked to X, Y, and Z, and they're willing to see our patients, and this is what they can do. We can, we can push through that and then let us get in there if we can do that and um, talk to the, to the provider and explain our service. Oftentimes they're fearful that palliative care is going to take over. And that is not the philosophy of palliative care at all. It's never been, and it's an integration uh, into the care team that's currently taking care of the patient. Those providers know the patient's best disease. Mm -hmm. We know best about supportive care and a coordination of care. Um, so we can work together. So I think that's... You're going to meet barriers. You're going to meet some pushback. But just stick to the patient's well-being. And this is what palliative supportive care has to offer. And frankly, we're not doing that. 
we don't have the skill set to do that. Yeah. So. So do you guys, if the patient, say their biggest complaint is, is pain management, pain mm-hmm. control, do you guys take over things like that too? Prescribing pain Absolutely, medicine? Absolutely, yes, 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 yes. Because uh, oftentimes they're... The, the providers that are seeing the patient will get to the point where they say, well, I really don't feel comfortable prescribing anymore, and I don't really know where to go from here. I've done what I can do. And oftentimes then uh, providers will come in and say, hey, we need you to take this over because we're, we're not really experts in this. Wow. And so, uh, but yes, we will take over the, we can if that's what the providers want us to do. We'll work collaboratively and we'll take over the pain management and pull out of our toolbox all these little things that we have uh, and treat the patient's pain and the associated spiritual, psychological, emotional sequelae of the pain. It's not just I can give you a pill for that pain or I can give you uh, acupuncture or I can do X, Y, and Z. That's not all that's pain management is about. It's like, how are you doing, dealing with this emotionally? And... What is the spiritual distress that you have associated with that? Uh, what's the financial consequences? Can you afford your medicine? You know, that pain medicine is pretty expensive they have you on. Yeah. Are you able to take it? No, I've been skipping doses, et cetera, because I can't afford it. So those are the things that we are going to look at in a more holistic way. Because, you know, we have, we, it, our visits are longer, more intensive, from that perspective, and most providers, and you know this, in your clinic, you don't, you don't have 30 minutes to an hour and a half to sit with a patient and their family. Not that you wouldn't want to, right. but, but it's just that the time constraints of your clinic don't allow that. Sadly, yeah. you're right. You're right. So a clinic visit with you would perhaps be that long, an hour and a half? Yeah, I've had clinic visits uh, about an hour and a half, but sort of the average is 45 minutes to an hour for me. Uh, A new patient may take that Mm -hmm. hour and a half uh, to really kind of get down into what we say, you know, the weeds, so Mm -hmm. to speak, (laughs) but it's not really weeds to the patient. No, no, but you're really digging deeper to find out where they're at. Absolutely. Um, So uh, does insurance cover services like this? Yes. Uh, For routine clinic visit, it would be whatever your insurance covers. Uh, there are disparities between insurance companies covering or uh, covering the um, clinic visits for some um, patients in some areas, uh, and there's a big disparity between the insurance companies covering home health for palliative care. And if you have to have a skill, uh, to get in, so it's it's a little difficult. So I wouldn't say that it covers everything. You would just have to check with your insurance company about those things. I think we've got another question from our audience. Is it difficult to provide and coordinate palliative care for the uninsured patients? Yes, I, I don't think it's much different than providing uh, and coordinating care for any uninsured patient. Uh, but it is a little bit more difficult in the sense that you have providers that the patient may need to see and tests that may need to be done that to help with the pain management or um, neurocognitive testing is one that we use fairly frequently, mm-hmm. psychological testing. So those things are 
not easy to get in to get done, even if you're in an institution that is supportive of palliative care, right. because those are just the realities of the financial constraints. But yes, um, that's why good networking with community providers and community resources are so important. If we can identify those early, we can link the patient to those services and we can, hey, will you take this uh, indigent patient for us and help us with this? And once again, most providers are focused on, I want to help the patient. But we all have financial constraints and I I want to be transparent about that. Sure. you just tell wonderful stories. I could sit all day and listen to you tell stories about your work. Um, and obviously without giving out any identifying information, mm-hmm. but can you just give us an example? Tell us a story that exemplifies how your services have worked sure. for a patient. One thing that comes to my mind, and I, I know we've talked about this particular ins- situation, this patient before, is I had a patient that was referred to me from hematology, oncology, that had... Uh, had a very uh, unusual, rare type of cancer and was told that we're going to treat you, but you're, you know, understand that there is less than 1% chance that you will survive. So gladly the, the patient did survive and I saw him five years after his treatment. Wow. But the problem was that he had severe peripheral neuropathy related to his treatment. And so, you know, addressing that, okay, yes, we're going to treat this pain. We're going to try to come up with some solutions. But tell me about how this has impacted your quality of life. I said, I said what, are, what are your goals of care? He says, well, you know, I really have trouble getting out of the house. I, I used to love to garden. And I can't even get out to my garden. I can't even get outside the house because the pain in my feet are so severe. And his wife is sitting there, and we go back to the family interaction. I said, so that must be very difficult for you. And turned to the wife, and I said, so how has that impacted you? And she burst into tears. Well, the reason was nobody's ever asked that. And basically, then the, the patient says, or the husband says, I feel like I'm holding her hostage, you know, because... You know, and the wife is crying because, no, you haven't held me hostage. You know, and then we get into this back and forth thing about um, not the emotional aspect of the pain that nobody had really addressed. And so we were able to treat the pain. He was able to begin to get outside the house. We had him and his wife in counseling. So they were both able to go through some of the emotional uh, ramifications of that disease and then I get to the point where he says, you know, a couple of months later, he's, he's doing much, much better, able to get out, do things he wanted to do. And then he surprised me one day. He said, you know, Richard, they told me I was going to die. And I didn't. You know, and as weird as this may sound, I don't know how to deal with that. You know, because my whole world then was built around oh, I'm, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And now you flip the switch and, oh, you're not going to die going about your business. <laughs> you know, So we spent a lot of time working through that emotional uh, aspect of his serious illness um, and then the fear of 
you know, reoccurrence. Mm-hmm. So those are the kind of things, and I, I know those are, those are not that unusual type of circumstances for us to deal with, uh, to address, and to release the pain and suffering, emotional pain and suffering, and the physical pain and suffering for the patient, but also for the wife was just very profound. It was, once again, it's a spiritual, you're walking into mm-hmm. a spiritual experience. And so that is just, that's what is awesome about my job. It is. <laughs> you know, but any of us can offer that to our patients, and it's so important to try to get, push through all the barriers, all the stuff that interferes with us doing the right thing, and just do, do that. It's amazing. We have about just a couple minutes left. So um, what resources are available for nurses and even patients and patient families uh, that could help them learn more about this type of service? Well, certainly there are national websites, and I, th- I think I've given you guys some of those uh, to put on okay. uh, so people can link to that. Uh, the uh, hospice um, HPNA, the Hospice and Palliative Care Nurses Association, is a great resource. They have a lot of educational materials. Uh, CAPC uh, is another one uh, that can you can go on to and look. And they have programs. They have educational materials for not only for the the nursing staff or the physicians, but also for, also for patients. Uh, also, the American Cancer Society has booklets and information or even the Heart Failure Association. So depending on whatever the disease process is okay. or the serious illness, you can go onto their national web uh, pages and look and put in palliative care, supportive care, and they will have those information booklets that you can not only use for staff education, but also to give to the patient and the family, help them understand, to get past that barrier. Oh my gosh, you referred me to hospice, am I dying? That's not, no, that's not it, so. Okay, great. So we're about to wrap it up. Um, What do you want people to know? What do you want to leave our audience with today about supportive care? If you could pass along any little nuggets. Little nuggets. I think the thing that I mentioned last time is that we, we don't take away hope from patients. And that's a barrier that people actually think that we owe. But we actually give hope to manage symptoms. When, pe- when I hear people say, uh, providers say, there's nothing else we can do for you, that is the worst thing I, it, to hear. Because there's always something we can do to manage symptoms, to, um, whether that be emotional, spiritual, or psychological uh, symptoms. We can help. We can provide that hope because patients feel hopeless and helpless. I've got, I got this pain. It's a consequence of my disease process. I will always have it. So I just need to suck it up and deal with it. And that's a terrible emotional and spiritual burden to carry. So we, as a specialty, can provide hope and resolution of that suffering. Thank you so much, Richard. Oh, you're what a wonderful discussion. Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is also available in video form at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash nursing network.